Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. to be with you this morning and end our series, our summer, summer series on profiles. And uh, this morning we're going over Deborah. If you haven't caught that yet, we're going to be talking about a profile about a mighty woman from the Old Testament. You might have heard of her, you might, might not have, but you will by the end of this, I believe, be very very encouraged. The scriptures come from, as Lee read, from Judges 5. That was Deborah's song. Uh, You'll find out more about her in that regard. It has more details, but we're going to turn to Judges 4, and I'm reading from the ESV version. So this is the chapter 4 of Judges, verses 1 through 24. Bear with me. Here we go. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidith, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom, from Kadesh Naphtali, and he said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I'll give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Hebar, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. Seemingly random, but not that little point there. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up with Mount Tabor, 
Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Harasheth Hegoyim to the river Kishon. <laughs> I've listened many times to my Bible app to say these correctly, so, you know, bear with me. I'm acting like I, Kishon, I've got my little notes that say, Ki dash Sean, S H S. I'm just saying. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots, again, all 900, and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you, you think, right? And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan. And they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. That's a long one, and that's an intense one. This is not, yeah, maybe she softly went in, but she didn't softly, you know. This, as I started, I was like, man, I'm really pumped about Deborah, but JL, she could have her own, you know, she could have her own sermon on her. So, but we'll, we'll stick with Deborah predominantly. So the author of this book, the book of Judges, which I'm just going to say I have enjoyed all of the series. If you've not been able to hear all of the series of the profiles, I have been so pumped. 
Chris, where's Chris? I just loved his sermon on, you know, I, I just loved it on Samson. And it really sparked me because I was deciding between two. And once he, once you preached that one, I was like, I'm going for it. We're going for judges, the intensity of judges. So you might have listened to Chris and he might have shared with us a little bit about the judges. But this book, this era, it's the author is unknown. We don't really know who wrote the book of Judges, but we do know that it was possibly Samuel, and he possibly assembled some of the other, you know, the judges of that time. They have Nathan, you know, maybe Gad, but we're really not sure. We're really not sure. The date, really unknown, spans about 300 years, okay? Pretty long time. The account of how Israel behaves between the death of Joshua and the leadership of a king is what this is all about. It's a very dark, very intense book of the Bible. These chapters talk about the disobedience of the Israelites, talk about discipline after they've been disobedient over and over, talk about repentance, how they repent once they realize, oh, we're in a bad way, and then God's deliverance, and it's repeated over and over and over, much like the Old Testament. Before Israel had a king, there were a series of leaders, and they were called judges. So what were these? We think of civil judges, you know, we think of a mallet, you know, first you're a lawyer, then you're a judge. That's not quite what this was. That's not what these judges were. They were anointed, anointed by God himself. And during this time when everything was going awry, when everything was in ham, you know, wreaking havoc, this is when God said, okay, I'm going to call these people to rise up and to lead. And I love when Lee read from Deborah's song, Leaders Lead. This is about a leader who led. Because, you know, you can be called a leader, but you might not really lead. Deborah was a leader who led. This is powerful. The Lord handed the Israelites over to the enemies. That's what scripture says, not making this up. He said he handed them over to the enemies. He used the surrounding nations to test them. He wanted to see whether they'd walk in his ways. Judges shows what happens to a society when it drifts away from following God and living in respect of his moral standards. Sound a little familiar to today? I think so. No one used the major highways. That's why when Lee read, you know, it was empty. Nobody was there. Why? Because they were scared. They used the back roads, the little side roads, because they didn't want to be robbed. They didn't want to be killed. Public life in Israel was governed by paralyzing fear, by helplessness, absence of godliness, the fear, you know, and the fear of God caused mixed emotions. Without God, there was depression, there was anxiety, there was licentiousness, there was wickedness, there were idols. And they made idols. And you'll read that over and over and over. And yet, they were chosen 
with a capital C. They were chosen. They were called by God, by his army. So they settled down and they connected themselves to who? Not God, to Canaan's people, to their morals, to their gods with a little g, to their religious beliefs, to their practices. Throughout all of Judges, the fundamental issue is the lordship of Jesus, the lordship of God, the lordship of Yahweh. Over and over, this cycle of rebellion is there. And with that cycle of rebellion, they lost their freedom. They were oppressed. They needed repentance, and they needed to be restored. The people of Israel consistently, consistently, consistently turned away from God. But you know how you've heard many times in series, or maybe not, but God. But God. Whew. Judges offers hope. In the midst of this dark, excruciating book with very intense stories, but God, there is hope. Even in the darkest of days, God can use men and women, or shall I say women and men, to accomplish his plans. And even though flawed, even though broken, God's mercies are delivered. In spite of Israel's rebellion, God sent help in the form of these judges. And the history and the redemption is awaiting God's, he says, awaiting his servant David, ultimately Jesus. So who are these judges? Who are they? They were rulers. They were commanders. They were leaders. And we find out, again, leaders don't always lead. The judges had roles, military leaders in times of crisis. They were heroes. They were heroines of faith during tragic times of Israel's history. They were prophets. They were walking in divine knowledge by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. They were civic leaders given authority to judge Israel as God's mouthpiece to them. Correcting abuses, redressing, readdressing grievances, disputes. And on many occasions, they did serve, again, as military commanders. There were 12 judges. Anybody able to name them all? I wasn't, so here we go. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, who was the fourth of the 12 mentioned, Gideon, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Ibzun, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. Now here's this, <laughs> about three or four of these have one line. There's one line about them. Deborah got her two chapters. <laughs> so she's, you know, she didn't care for that, but she got them. Because a leader who leads has people who will follow. Ultimately, Israel didn't need a judge or a king to save them. We know what did they need. They needed a savior. They needed somebody to deliver them. And the Bible is what, that's the whole story of the Bible. But in this, in this study of judges, I want to read this quote. When absolute standards or morality, which depend for their authority on the existence of an infinite yet personal creator God, are rejected, 
then a nation begins to slide into an abyss of moral chaos in which personal safety and the rule of law are eventually casualties. The simple lesson is that when God is marginalized in our lives, decline and disintegration inevitably follow. Oh, are you encouraged? <laughs> well, you will be. Deborah, we're going to jump into who was Deborah? Who was this fourth judge? Who was this woman who was a leader of leaders? Well, her name means honeybee. Hey, honeybee. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe your family called her honeybee, but that's what Deborah means. Any Deborahs out there? Your little honeybee. So with that, the Hebrew people, they, they, they use this name a lot in reference to who they were as Israelites, because just as bees followed their leader in a swarm, the Jewish people were to follow the prophets who taught them. As a bee sting is painful, right? But the bee's honey is so incredibly sweet. God's word stings for those who don't follow his commands, but it's so sweet to those who follow it. Bees collect pollen and nectar, not for their own benefit, actually, but for the benefit of the other bees. Just as the Hebrews collect mitzvahs, which are good deeds done for others, for the Lord's pleasure, for his benefit, and bees are considered a lowly insect. So it's a reminder that we are to be humble. So there's Deborah's, you know, what does her name mean? But she has an impressive resume. Don't let honey bee fool you. She was a judge, which was a civil leader. She was the only female mentioned in the, in the Bible as a judge. She was, again, I said the fourth of the judges, but she was also a warrior. She was a prophet, she was a poet, she was a singer, and a songwriter. We know little about her family, but this is what we do know. She was from the hill country of Ephraim, between Bethel and Ramah. That's more of an agricultural area. She was married to a man named Lapidoth. That's Judges 4.4. Though we don't know much about him, we do know that... She was from that area, and that area was where he was from. Her story is told in chapter five, not chapter four, not only prose, but chapter five, poetry. So two full chapters. She's the only judge whose death was not recorded. She's the only one of the five women described as prophets in the Old Testament. The other four? Miriam, Huldah, Noadiah, and the prophetess in Isaiah. We can't forget Anna and Philip's daughters in the New Testament, but there are few, very few. She was the only person in the Bible who was said to be both prophet and judge, like Samuel. And she was called to deliver the Israelites from the Canaanites as that judge. She's one of the most influential and famous women of the Old Testament. She's known for her wisdom, and she's known for her courage. And she was a transformer, not a conformer. She was the only woman who's known for her faith in action that wasn't connected to a man, either a husband or another leader. Deborah as the judge. We talked about those, her resume. She is the judge. She ruled for 40 years. 
She was one of the rulers of the Hebrews who was, as we said, the only female leader. This is called mishpat. It's translated judge. There under a palm tree, this is verse, verses 4 through 5 is what this relates to, she sat providing godly wisdom and guidance to those who sought counsel. Listen, she was sought after. There were probably lines upon lines of people. You can only imagine uh, hour after hour settling disputes, presenting the law. But she didn't just do it because she could read the law. She did it because she went to God. She listened to him. Yahweh was very close to her. People were consistently helped by her ministry, and she was the first and the only woman revealed to exercise this civil authority in Israel. Where was this tree? Where was she located? She was in the vicinity that was controlled by Jabin, the harsh, harsh oppressor. He had oppressed Israel for 20 years, y'all, and this, there's so much that goes with this, but as a priestess, she did not offer the sacrifices, but she did lead worship services, and she did preach and teach. She did do that. That was her as the judge. Now her as a warrior. I like this one. I like this one. She would go to lead Israel against the Canaanites, against King Jabin. As their military general, Sisera, called out, was called out by Jabin, and she was called on to lead. So she goes to Barak. We've heard about him. She went to Barak, and she said, you know, you are called to come with me and bring 10,000. And what did he say? Do you all remember what he said? He said, if you will go with me, then I'll go. But if you don't go, I'm not going. Hello? He was supposed to be a mighty warrior. And I believe he probably was. But he, for some reason, was like, if you don't go, I'm not going. Maybe it was because he was like, she hears from God. So if she hears from God and she's going, I'm going. If she's not, she's not. Or maybe, maybe he had a little problem following a woman and he thought, you know, if if she's really serious about this, she'll go too. Regardless, Barak and she teamed together and they went. But she said, hey, I'll go with you, but I'm going to let you know this. The honor will not be yours, FYI, because the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Now, who did you think of when you read that? in the hands of a woman. I think a lot of people think that it means Deborah because she led. But that's not what that prophecy meant, as we know. Naphtali and Zebulon are those that rose up to the occasion, those that came. There are other tribes that were completely condemned because they did not go with them. For different reasons, we're sure, but in Deborah's song, she makes sure to honor those tribes that went with them. There was superior technology. Those 900 iron chariots, it was like the tip top of technology. And here's the thing. 
That war was fought on their, close to their land, the Canaanites. It was a flat land that they were used to using. So, of course, you could use a chariot in a flat land. But God, we'll get to that. He unleashes torrential storms. The, they eliminate the Canaanites' advantage because the chariots, the horses, the men, they get stuck in this huge torrential rain, in this huge storm, and they're overwhelmed and they're defeated. Yahweh, once again, and this is what her song in chapter 5 relates to us. Hey, this is not a man or a woman's doing. This is Yahweh. This is God's doing. He is the divine warrior. He is the one that goes before us. He is the one who triumphed and triumphs over Baal. She was a judge. She was a warrior. She went off to battle, and she did amazing things. We interject here with JL. Number one, JL was pretty much a warrior as well. She, she did a lot of things. But the validity of Deborah's prophetic utterance of her statement came to pass. And it was Jael, the wife of that clan leader, Heber, who would avenge the Israelite, literally, physically. Deborah, as a prophet, she heard God's voice. She shared his word with others constantly, consistently, over and over. She was called, in verse 7 of chapter 5, the mother of Israel. We don't know for certain if she had children, but we know for sure she was very much maternal. She very much cared. She was a mother of Israel. The nation looked up to her for leadership and as their mother, kind of like George Washington was called the father of the nation, she was the mother of the nation. The mother of all mothers, some people might say. Her courage, her wisdom in calling that army as she was a warrior, you know, they had, they had peace for 40 years because of it. So that's her as a prophet. Now let's look to her as the poet, as the singer, as the songwriter. We read her story again, but it's written as a poem, and it's sung as a song. This chapter, chapter 5 that Lee read from, there's so many beautiful scriptures. I encourage you to read it on your own. It's called the Song of Deborah. But it's one of the earliest, if not the earliest, example of poetry in the Old Testament. It's considered one of the great literary achievements of the ancient world. Just saying. Yahweh ultimately is responsible for the victory. He called her to lead, and she did. And this poetry, this poem in chapter 5, celebrates the victory over the Canaanites and Sisera's army. She says in verses 1 through 13 and 24, 31 that Lee read from just a few of those, wake up, wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up, break out in song, arise, Barak, take captive your captives, and on and on. It's beautiful. It is a beautiful, beautiful song. And it's a beautiful song of victory. Again, leaders called by God lead and people follow those leaders. Let's look at what we can learn. What can we learn from this amazing woman 
who was not just a judge, who was not just a prophet, a mother of Israel, not just one who led in battle, not just one who not only wrote songs, but sang them and poetry. What can we learn from her? We can learn these things, that she cared in compassion. She cared. Deborah has the care and compassion of a mother for her people. She took their troubles, she took their lives, she took their futures, their families, and she walked with them. She sat under that tree with them. She cared about the people, and she had deep compassion that compelled her to care for them. She feels that sense of responsibility for the well-being of others. That's what we can learn from her. Also, when leaders care, others follow. So not only when leaders lead, but when leaders care, others will follow. What else can we learn? That she was a conduit of contemplation or prayer. Before acting, before speaking, she listened under that palm tree. She took in on all sides what God was saying, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. She made her decrees before she spoke to others. She listened to God. She asked him to reveal direction, to give wisdom, to give discernment. She was a woman who contemplated with enthusiasm. She, you see, she says, awake, Deborah, awake. She heard God, and then she enthusiastically responded to him. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became examples to all who believe. That represents Deborah. When leaders pray, others follow. She was compliant in obedience. Deborah was obedient to Jesus with all the turmoil in the world that we have right now. We can relate to Deborah, can't we? As a model of complying and obeying Jesus, God, Yahweh, after 20 years of oppression, while most of her people cowered in fear, she awakened with zeal to do something, not just to know about it, but to do something. As she was compelled by Yahweh, she rose as a leader to awaken others to stand up and fight. Is God telling us to stand up and fight? To do something, to go somewhere despite any fear that we might have? To listen to his call? Before the foundations of the world, God prepared specific plans for you and for me, for his children, to accomplish through obedience, through our lives. As in Deborah's story and as in her life, he has plans that we can't begin to understand. His heart, his life through us can allow us to change things for the better, for the good, for eternity. He has a plan that we cannot fathom. We need to trust, we need to comply, we need to obey. The maker of heaven and earth knew you 
before the creation. And he has things that he wants you to do that will awaken sinners in their need for a savior that will lead others to wholeheartedly devote, be devoted to Jesus, to bring glory to Christ. We are to live, as Philippians chapter 2 says, blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. What's he calling you to? Who does he want you to change? Who does he want me to influence? Ephesians 2.10, we're his workmanship. We're created in him, by him, and he moves through us to do those good things that he's determined for us to do. When leaders are obedient, others follow. She was courageous, especially in challenging times. She had courage to go into battle. You can only imagine. We sang one of the songs that the worship team was leading. It's like, whoa, she was courageous. She knew that God was with her. She knew Yahweh wouldn't leave her, never leave her, never forsake her. And she knew that the victory was hers. The victory was Barak's. The victory was Israel's. She was moved by God on a day that was probably extremely ordinary. The flashes of lightning came when the Canaanites were destroyed, but there was probably not lightning flashing when he spoke to her. He awakened her to take action that we re would require courage and would require strength. Good leaders, God leaders, often challenge us to step out courageously, to do something we otherwise wouldn't do. Are you able, willing, obedient to lead others in that way? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Doing something out of our comfort zone to glorify God can be terrifying. It can be excruciatingly fearful. But faith was never promised to be easy. Never. He will equip and he will prepare you. Be bold, be courageous, and do it for his glory. Don't shrink back. Don't think, oh, God's going to use somebody else. He'll use them. Be inspired and realize that he calls you to accomplish extraordinary things, whether you feel extraordinary or not. And usually we're not, but he is. I love this quote by D.L. Moody. He was an ordinary man, he says, whose zeal was awakened when he heard a British revivalist say these words. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. He went on to say, those were the words sent to my soul from the living God, by God's help. I aim to be that man. Do you aim to be that woman or that man? Isaiah 41.10, which is quoted so much, says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I'll strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I can only imagine 
how those words from Yahweh to Deborah, while he called her to do what she was doing. Number one, being the only woman called to that had to be frightening enough in and of itself, let alone to be a commander-in-chief and to call other leaders to lead. Stepping out of faith and into faith, it's never, never easy. And it's usually never practical. When the Spirit of God, though, comes upon you with zeal to lead others in this way, he promises to be with you. And he promises to do it through more than you can imagine and by his glory, by his strength, and through his kingdom. When leaders are courageous, others follow. She was consistent in faith. She didn't waver. There is no iota of her wavering. She knew that God would faithfully guide and lead the way. She basically said to Barak several times, hey, now's the day. Get up. Go. This is the time. He's called us. No wavering. She didn't feel like she needed to understand how. She didn't feel like she needed to understand why. And she didn't think she needed to, you know, go into a time of prayer for days and days and days, although I'm sure she was in prayer for days and days. When God spoke, she obeyed. And she was consistent in faithfulness. Hebrew 11, as we know, Hebrews 11, it recognizes all the great people of faith, ordinary people who God raised up to change their generations. They do mention Barak, but the, the author of Hebrews, who we aren't particularly sure who that was as well, did say, I don't have time to name all these people. I think he should have named Deborah, but he didn't have time to name them all. I'm sure she's in that list of hall of faith. But it says in Hebrews 12:1, therefore we also, us, we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Deborah's final words, this is what she says. So the land rested for 40 years. Judges 5 through 1, that's in her song. She said, so the land rested. That's what came through her consistency. When leaders walk by faith, others follow. She also celebrated Christ. Finally, what did she do? She celebrated Christ. Deborah praises God's intervention. She credits God with the victory. She is the only judge to sing of the victory. The only one recorded that sang and wrote she illustrated a creative role along with a powerful role of celebrating, celebrating her creator. We must acknowledge the victories and the triumphs that God enables us to have and experience. You know, we don't often do this in remembrance of me. Remember what God has done when you're afraid when you're challenged, when you're called to do something that doesn't seem feasible, remember. Remember what he's done for you. Remember what he's done for others, especially those Hall of Faith 
folks that we get to read about, those profiles that we've heard about all summer, all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. These memories can sustain us. Yes, they might challenge us in seasons of our lives, but when leaders worship God, others follow. God does not hesitate to raise up or equip or empower and promote his faithful servants. He does not care about social status. He does not care about your personal abilities or lack thereof. He calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And when Jesus comes upon us, we can become the leaders like Deborah who make such a difference that there's peace for 40 years. Matthew Henry wrote this, though he needs no human help, yet he, God, is pleased to accept the services of those who improve their talents to advance his cause. In the end, God elevates those whom he chooses. And Deborah sings of this, let, thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the rising of the sun in its might. Deborah played an incredible role. She played an incredible part of history, especially with Israel and Christianity. She's become one of the most influential women in the Old Testament. But I'm sure she would say, I have no doubt that she would affirm and say, as I'm saying, that it wasn't Deborah, it wasn't Barak, it wasn't Jael who deserved the glory, who deserve the recognition. They're not worshipped because they're the ultimate heroes or heroines of the story or the Savior. That role is reserved for God, for Yahweh, for the King of Kings, for Him alone, because before Him the mountains quaked and the presence of the Lord was there. Judges 5. Are we going to learn from Deborah? I loved when Elizabeth preached on Rahab, and she talked about that ordinary woman who did an extraordinary, extraordinary thing, and it became a part of history that changed it for eternity. Deborah is that same type of woman. What a powerhouse. And yet, like so many others of the faith, we too can take part. So are we going to learn from this remarkable story in the book of Judges, this profile of Deborah, the judge, the prophetess? Can we care in compassion? Can we be conduits of contemplation and prayer? Can we be compliant with obedience to him? Can we be courageous when challenged? Can we be constant in faith? And can we be celebrators and worshipers of God alone and no idols?
Of course we can, but only through him. Let's be leaders who do these things like Deborah did. There's a quote I'm going to end with, with uh, President Teddy Roosevelt said this. So I know this is random, but I think it's poignant. It is not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs also, who comes short again and again, because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends their self in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if fail, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place or her place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I want to challenge you and challenge myself. Let me tell you, you do these kind of profiles, you be challenged. Are you a leader who will lead so that others will follow like Deborah? Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you that Deborah was a woman who sought your face. Deborah was a woman who wasn't just courageous because she was supernaturally fearless. We know she was probably scared out of her wit's end much of the time until she met with you and sought your face. We pray that we would be like that, like Deborah, who didn't waver because she'd spent so much time in your presence and she spent so much time caring for people and giving of herself so much time choosing to obey rather than make excuses, choosing to forge ahead rather than run away. Jesus, would you challenge each of us? Would you show us how to be like Deborah, who would sing, awake, awake, O oh Deborah? I pray that each soul here would, th to this day, say, awake, awake, my soul. Why so downcast? Put your hope in God. Jesus, we pray that we would change our conditions, our nation, our surroundings for your kingdom and for your glory. And we pray that we'd look to you and see that you're the one who gets the credit. You're the one who deserves our celebration. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.